Father Anthony. Father Harrison. Uh, I have a correction to make. Oh, interesting. I've never I, had a correction to make because everything I've ever said in this podcast is true and I stand by it. So uh, I'm trying to because empathize. Because we all know Italians are great at truth. Yes, absolutely. Uh, sometimes, Just think of, yeah. Sometimes truth is a little boring. You need to like stretch it out a little bit. You got to put a little marinara sauce on it. Yeah, you know? you gotta, it's, like, it's like playing with pasta, right? You got to just like yes. mold. You got to just stretch it out and have some fun so, with it. Throw it in the air. Exactly. I'll try to empathize yeah. with you. They'll be very difficult for me. What is the okay, correction you okay. have to make? Uh, so last week when we were talking about vaccines, mm-hmm. I mentioned I said the University of Dallas, uh, with regards to the testing of the spike protein on the HEK293 uh, cell line, and a reader was very kind to point out my error, and it wasn't University of Dallas. It was, I believe it was the University of Austin, but don't quote me on that. I, it was not the University of Dallas, which is a Catholic university, so like I'm sorry to any U of D alumni any U of D listeners, staff, etc. Uh, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa. It was just an off-the-cuff moment where I, uh, I got my everything's everything's so big in Texas. It's just one big blur to me. Yes. See, that's the funny thing. Like people in Texas, like are pretty adamant that different parts of Texas are different, and I still don't believe them. It's all just Texas to me. Yeah. It's just all cowboy hats and beanless chili. Yep. That's that. I mean, yeah. it's kind of a boring place, in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, hmm. we're going to get a lot of hate mail now. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, welcome to Cleric Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. I'm Father Anthony. Great. And uh, we're going to do, we're going to go right into uh, Pastoral Council. Uh, and now it's time for Pastoral Council, where the laity are empowered to say words. Oh, yippee. opinions so welcome to our a rare uh segment of the show pastoral council it's a great bumper it's a great bumper. And it, and it we actually have, feels more like a council now because we have two guests we're, so where are are we the count are we the council fathers then no no no, no. you are the parish council Oh, we're the you parish. are in the basement of the church drinking bad coffee there's about seven of you but you're the representatives we're going to talk about where we're going to buy the flowers for easter you might say that easter's you know far away but no pastoral council really wants to talk about this right now so that's what the show's about gotta do it you gotta do it so if you if you haven't figured out yet we have uh jd flynn and ed condon from uh the new website the pillar uh the new uh, journalistic website uh, in catholic news so welcome uh jd and ed Thanks for having us, man. Hey. And you are one of, uh, you've entered the ranks of uh, multi-time uh, guests. We had you guys back on yeah. the show. We did a little crossover episode with a former podcast you guys were a part of a long time ago. So long-time listeners will remember you guys, and they either turned off or they're really excited. So we'll find out. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but it was like it was really interesting just before we started recording because like it was like a, how do I put this politely? Uh, it was like dealing with some older parents who don't quite understand technology and who were trying they're trying to figure out are we recording or not recording? Are you guys actually recording now? We're all good now. I, I think we are. Yeah, we're actually recording now. I think. I mean, I pre- I press the red button. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're, we're but don't press it now. Don't press it now. <laughs> People often mistake us and think that JD and I have any kind of professional commitment to podcasting, which is completely inaccurate. The way we (laughs) podcast every week, and I'm not making this up, we've been doing this for over two years now, is we, we put our iPhones on airplane mode, we Skype each other, and then we hit record on the voice notes on our phone. And then we WhatsApp each other the sound files at the end. Not anymore. I mean, now we got some fancy. We got some fancy stuff, which is amazing because the content you guys put out it's 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 always one of my favorite shows. I love listening to you guys uh, between the banter and the content and everything. It, you, hearing you guys talk is uh, one of my favorite parts of the week. So the fact that you barely know what you're doing, we have no idea, and we don't do very good at planning either. Because a lot of times Ed'll say to me like, "Hey, we got a podcast today," and I'll be like, "Yeah, <laughs> give me half an hour." And then about three hours later, I'll be like, we got a podcast today. And I'll be like, yeah, I was about to jump in the shower. Give me another hour. And then several hours after that, I don't know why I put a shower scene in the story, but several hours after that, <laughs> we will podcast, but with very little prep. And we we could be doing, basically, if you li- like listening to us, 
we could be doing better. So much better. No, no, no. Don't say that. Because here's the thing. You guys, you talk about Catholic news or news in general, and that's something you're doing constantly. There's all kinds of uh, prep going on just through your jobs and your daily lives. So it's it's it, it works. It works. Don't sell yourself short. I, I like to think some of the magic is that I never know what's going to come out of JD's mouth after he says, <laughs> hey, everybody. And I just go, and what are we going to do this week? Is it going to be JD's opinions on seafood? Is it going to be 90s? sitcoms i i it will be anything other than the news stories we have loosely identified i don't feel like we've talked about seafood enough to be perfectly candid well i mean but like there is something to talk about it's it's it is ed's um ability to be online and yet totally uh how do i like totally oblivious to anything at all period so we have (laughs) we have some questions for ed about what's going on online harrison do you want to go first because i have a question I, i just want to say up front that my superpower is I have hacked Twitter in a way that nobody else has. <laughs> Everyone talks about curating their experience and all this hipster crap. Nobody has tailored Twitter to their own needs better than me. Honest to God, if I don't want, if I don't like the sort of thing that people are talking about, it doesn't exist. I've completely crowded it out. It's wonderful. I am in this. Twitter for me is it, it is an echo chamber. I mean, I can I'm clear. I can broadcast well, out, which is important, but. In terms of what gets through to me, it's almost nothing. Because I, I presume that I, I always imagine that most of your Twitter feed is base, is pictures of baseball cards. Oh, there's a lot of watches in there too, actually. But you know, I'm very interested to find out that you know, just before we started recording, Ed asked us, "What is Exodus 90?" And I was uh, flabbergasted <laughs> to say the least. I, I mean, I know it's a. I, I'm assuming it's a chapter in the Bible, but I. I don't think Exodus does Exodus go up to ninety. It might. I mean, I presume it actually it must, right? I mean, Exodus ninety must be named after the Bible. It has. It has to be. I'm it was named it after the book of Exodus, but I don't think it's. I don't. There is not ninety chapters of Exodus. I, there's there's not ninety chapters of anything in the Bible. Oh, that's not true. I said Psalms go past that. Oh Psalms, wait, wait, I forgot. I forgot, I forgot. No, no, hold on a second. I forgot we were talking to canon lawyers, so they know nothing about scripture or theology. Yeah, okay. you're not wrong. I was just looking around my <laughs> office. No, I was just looking around my office, and I've got one, two, three bookcases with five shelves each, six shelves each, and I have three codes of canon law. That I can see two catechisms, three commentaries, and I, I actually think I don't have a Bible in my office. <laughs> Nice. Okay, so this is how we're going to do this. Uh, okay. I'll give you some hints on what Exodus 90 is, and you try to tell me what Exodus 90 is, okay? okay. <laughs> so, it's a program, Okay. Uh, usually involving a group of guys, and it's uh, centered around uh, Lent. Can you guess what Exodus 90 is? Um, either this is, a, this is a Shrove Tuesday drinking game, or... <laughs> Is this the is this the sort of slightly camp workout regime that Paul Ryan used to do and made a big thing about? Getting closer. Getting that closer. Was, I think that was called P90X. So you were on the right track. Okay. Paul Ryan was doing the P90s. <laughs> Psalm Psalm 90, presumably. Um, yes. So good, good guess. So it's neither a drinking game nor a workout. But P90X is okay. P90X. More things about. Oh are are you going to give him more hints about Exodus 90? No, I think that was good. That was good. Uh, so Exodus 90 is kind of like a program where the people uh, usually, I think it's a, a men's thing, where you do like an extreme Lent. So you go 90 days until Easter. Uh, cold showers, you meet with a spiritual director, no screens, this kind of thing. It's kind of like if you wanted Braveheart to be a spirituality, uh, and people can guess whether I think this is a positive thing or a negative thing. Uh, that'll be a topic for another podcast. But that's the gist of uh, Exodus 90. I have a question. Yes. Cold showers and daily spiritual direction is what these people think is hardcoring it. <laughs> no, not daily, not daily. When you, it's like, when you, know, you used weekly. to like go in biblical Lent, I thought you meant okay, no food or water for forty days or something. <laughs> yeah, like I, I, I imagine actually that Orthodox Lent or or Byzantine Lent is probably probably harder than Exodus ninety. Uh, I was about probably. to say I know Orthodox guys who that. Christmas is harder work than that. I... <laughs> <laughs> the thing, the thing about Exodus ninety eight is that it's often criticized as Father Anthony was sort of doing as like being uh, sort of hi- this sort of hyper masculine, you know, this sort of masculinity Christianity where it's like you know rip rip off your shirt and be a Christian and um, somewhat Pelagian. And I, I, I'm sympathetic to those things, but at the same time, I feel self conscious about that because I'm like 
um, wolfing down cupcakes and saying like, yeah, X is 90s, too Pelagian, blah, 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 blah. Like, And then, you know, and then live tweeting every minute of my day and like, I don't know why those guys aren't looking at their phones at all. You know, so I'm, it's probably, I probably would benefit from. Yeah, I think things. it's probably okay for some people, but I worry about somebody who goes from zero to 90, if you will. It's like, first thing you do is how about you pray every day? and get a spiritual director. Maybe that should be a first step. But we can talk more about that on a different episode. I have a question. Oh, go ahead, Harrison. I was just going to say, yeah. I mean, this is something I think you and I both learn as priests, is you start to realize the best spiritual growth is the gradual spiritual growth. Yeah. One small step at a time is better than five big steps at once. Yeah. I actually have a question about that for you guys. That I that this is advice that I sometimes... you Father Anthony, you said something that reminded me of the thing that I was going to say. Um... Uh, often people will ask me, you know, like, uh, how do I find a spiritual director? Or can you help me with ideas to find a spiritual director? And it seems to me that the people who, a lot of times people who are asking me that, my counsel to them is like, well, why don't you build a habit of prayer and get a confessor? You know, just start with like a person to whom you regularly go to confession. And maybe it might even be premature to like, be like having this, I need to find the right spiritual director and things like that. I mean, I don't know. What Do you, do you guys think I'm off base there? Uh, not necessarily, but I think it depends because I tend to do confessions. I tend not to give a lot of counsel in confessions, right? Uh, unless someone makes a special appointment with me. Mm. So I hate it when people give me advice in the confessional. So I get very limited, if if any. Um, I would say um, I I like to be the one to decide whether or not the person needs a spiritual director. So I if they if they want sense. a spiritual director, I have a preliminary meeting with them, and I ask them what it is, what they want from it. Um, and maybe they only need a couple of meetings with a priest. Maybe it's good. Uh, then there's like a trial run. We'll meet five times and discuss whether or not this is working. Oh, that's uh, a good practice. Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's, I put in the five times because I want there to be a date where, uh, they're allowed to break up with me. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Cause something about breaking up with your spiritual director can be very awkward. <laughs> I was like, no, 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 yeah. no, I don't care. Is this working or is it not working? We'll talk about it on this date and you go yeah. from there. So yeah, my principle is a little different part of it's just out of prudence in my diocese because we are so short on priests like i am i think one of maybe two priests in my diocese who will even do it and uh so i get a lot of requests and so for me it's what are your goals what do you want out of it uh what are you pursuing like if it's just i just want a better prayer life i'm like well you know maybe we can talk once or twice a year and that's all you're really going to need or you can come talk to me in confession for a little bit or something like that you know or uh, but then if like for me, I really put an emphasis on vocational discernment because uh, I just I only have so much time and I can only give myself to so much. So, you know, you, you kind of discern you, you kind of I mean, so I've done when I was at our cathedral, I did a lot more and you're doing not just um, that stuff. You're also helping people working through some particular sins and stuff like that. And, and I really enjoy it. It's just, you know, once you're a pastor, the ability to just offer all your time for spiritual direction becomes not possible anymore. So you, you do what you can. I, I think every every priest always does things a little differently, just according to what they can do. All right. One more dumb question before we start talking about the pillar. And this is once again for Ed. This is a thing that has happened recently online. Ed, who or what is the bean dad? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I feel bad if you don't know about this. So Who here's the what thing. is the bean dad? I am with you Ed on this. Out. I have no idea what's going on with Wait, this. Wait, oh, you missed out. You guys missed out. I saw um, something floated across my Twitter feed today. Rowan Atkinson said something. Is this to do with him and Mr. Bean? No. Uh, I forget who the, uh, the actual name of. I just know the story. But it wasn't Rowan Atkinson. I must confess, the first time I saw the words Bean Dad, I thought it had some. I thought, basically, I thought Massimo Fagioli had a baby. Yeah. And people <laughs> Which would have been a that. much more delightful uh, story. <laughs> who? Than right. The true story. <laughs> so, this is the story of a Bean Dad. Uh, apparently, this, this father has a, a daughter about nine years old. And she wanted, like, a can of, like, refried beans or something for dinner or whatever. And so he gives her the can and a can opener. She had never used a can opener before. And he's like, you figure this out. If you can open this can of beans, you can have beans. And she's nine years old. She has no idea. So she's trying. She's blah, blah. And she says, I quit. And he says, no, you don't. Because if you can't open this can of beans, neither you or I will eat until you do. So he does this huge saga of what is going on, the, the trials of his daughter. After six hours, she figures out how to do it. And what made it even more ridiculous than just the facts of that story is that he was very proud of his parenting skills for this. And so that is the story of the bean dad. I have questions. 
Okay. <laughs> Nine years old. Yes. That seems plenty old to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I learned how to use a can opener. I was like six. I, I mean, I, no one ever taught me how to open a can. <laughs> uh, that's one of those things like I feel like, okay, fine, if you've never seen a can opener. I mean, was she left-handed? Because if she was left-handed, then fair enough. I would be willing to. What he said is that all the cans in their house he realized had had like ring openings and so it was unusual that she had ever sure had to use but a can i'm opener. saying the only reason why using a can opener wouldn't be intuitive to someone who you know should be allowed to do things like bathe themselves is if they're <laughs> if they're left-handed and the can opener is a right-handed thing because then if you're picking it up in your left hand you could i could see how that would be confusing assuming his daughter is handed i'm left-handed i still learned it when i was six okay so. oh i was gonna say you guys are i mean like some some people just don't have a lot of Kinesthetic intelligence. You know? some, <laughs> people, some people have other gifts. I, I, like, I feel like, uh, put it this way, if you are nine years old or ten years old or whatever this kid was, and you're, and again, you're not dealing with a structural disadvantage of this is a right-handed can opener, which you're trying to puzzle out with your left hand, that apart, if you're unable to figure that one out in under six hours, then I feel like you should have like the age at which you could take your first driving test delayed by two years. But have you seen can openers these days? A lot of them are, I mean, just in this girl's defense... A lot of them are complex. You know, a lot of them are over-engineered and ergonomic. And have you seen can openers these days is what I'm asking. I've had the same can opener my entire adult life. It works fine. That's my point. I mean, you're English, Ed. (laughs) So I suspect that your can opener is like... uh, An antique from the 18th century. My can opener is a leather man. frame this in a way... Right. Let me frame this in a way that you can understand. Uh, this, I mean, recording a podcast might be very difficult for you guys. Would be very intuitive for us. Yeah, like pressing, like pressing record, <laughs> like pressing record, right? Maybe you know. I'm wow. just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just... Wow. I w- this is a video, so I can't flip you <laughs> off. But <laughs> all right, that's, that's fair. Or can I? Yeah. <laughs> Well, this is supposed to. Isn't this? Isn't the shtick here supposed to be a, presby- a pastoral council in a parish? <laughs> this is true. Yes. So there could this be. There could be hand signs. Exactly. Exactly. Cool. So uh, we wanted to bring you guys on today because hey, we're good friends and we 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 chat all the time. But uh, we wanted also just yeah give our support to your new project. So why don't you? We're gonna give you the floor. Just to maybe talk for a bit about what the pillar is. Uh, maybe talk to the people about why you felt this was an important work in the life of the church. What, maybe what you're excited about. You know, just go nuts. Great. Because I'm excited. I'm excited. I'm super excited. I I, I uh, read the new articles today with 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 eagerness. So. We are both uh, supporting paying members of the pillar community. So oh, that's really true. nice. Thank you guys. Yes. We're really grateful. For I, I don't mind telling you that I, I think, and I'm operating off of very rough numbers here. I, I think we have more priests who are who are paying subscribers, and I'm very grateful for each and every one that we do journalists. Um, okay there you go interesting interesting and you've been surprised by that that other journalists are not only because those same journalists are the ones who vetch on twitter about hey don't complain about you know being asked to pay for journalism but then you give them a chance to only contribute voluntarily and they're like oh yeah give me the free feed baby what i am grateful for is that there are a lot of priests who are paying who are who are not only subscribing but who are supporting us financially which is really nice and bishops too and and we have some cardinal subscribers, so that's really, really cool. And also, like, puts the pressure on that we better actually do it. Um, <laughs> well, I think two priests know more than anyone else in some ways. Well, maybe hopefully they know. You guys need to support your family. <laughs> and and actually, our it's nice of you to say that. And actually, our in a certain way, our aim with this project, when we think about who we're doing this project for, we're thinking about this is a project that we're doing um, because we love the church and we're doing for people who love the church as well. Because we're trying um, this this project, the pillar, which has originated in our mind over these last few weeks, and how now has come to fruition at www.pillarcatholic.com, um, is a is a project in which we um, have decided to like kind of step back. You know, Ed and I have both worked in in journalism and Catholic journalism for a while, and um, in a way where we were just in the news cycle. You know, what, what's happening every day? What's happening every day? What's happening every day? So, like about two hours ago. A diocese released a statement about a, a well-known priest who is being removed from ministry. And there would have been a time in our previous life where it would have been like, okay, let's write that up. Let's get it up. Let's make sure we have a picture. Let's make sure we get a statement. And that stuff's really important. And actually, I really admire and respect the team that we had that was doing that and, and everything. But it has been in our mind for a little while to kind of step back from the... Um, the, the day-to-day like demands of the news cycle, what's happening right now, 
um, to be able to look um, really at, at, at two things. First of all, to be able to do kind of a deeper dive into the questions that um, that have that have been occasioned by the struggles and challenges that the church has faced over the last few years. Um, we have learned, I think all of us have learned over the past few years that the church is in need of reform, and all of us have learned over the past few years that the church is committed to being holy as the Lord calls her to be holy, and, and one way to do that is to just live according to moral principles and also her own sort of organizational principles. And we've learned what happens when that doesn't take place. And we've learned that journalism can be a great sort of mechanism of not just public accountability, but we hope public conversion for the church so that, you know, not that like we want to just like play gotcha with somebody who's not doing the right thing, but that we want to bring things to light places in which the church needs um, to be purified. We want to bring them to light so that uh, hopefully we can find a better way of doing things or, you know, things can just be brought into um, into the light so that the Lord can transform them. So part of our desire with this is to look at, uh, you know, it's just to do the kind of investigative journalism that we have been done, done a little bit of over the past few years, but wanting to do much more of and having things, seeing things that we think need to be addressed and seeing things that we hope we could kind of address before they become McCarrick-sized scandals by helping to bring some reform ahead of that and uh, and wanting to spend some time on that. And on that front, truthfully, some of the coolest investigative work that we've done as journalists thus far um, is the kind of work where we identify a problem. Um, we do some investigative work. We get some leads. We start to back things up. We call a diocese for a comment. We say, we have identified this problem. And um, even before we report the story, the diocese says, we've decided, we've changed it. We've changed our policy or we've begun to you know deal with this. And, and, and that kind of cuts our knees out because... On the one hand, we don't have a story um, anymore because the diocese has rescinded the bad policy or whatever. But on the other hand, we're so much happier to see like that that um, an, an ecclesiastical leader says, "You brought a problem to my attention, and I'm fixing it right now." Than we are to like get a headline. So, um, so part of it is to just do that kind of investigative work that we think is helpful in the life of the church for the sake of holiness. And then part of it is taking a step back from the news cycle to to look at to, to look at and think about. Not just what are the problems, but also what are the solutions? What are the ways in which people are doing well at living the gospel, in which the church as a Christian community is doing well at living the gospel? And how can those be strengthened? How can those be recognized? How can those be really um, uh, looked at objectively? You know, there's a lot of... The, the, the church is an interesting culture, and you guys know this, because there are a lot of times where something can get momentum just by sort of everyone wanting to say affirmative things about something that other people are saying affirmative things about. So like, wow, Ed's ministry is really great. I tell you guys that, and then you're talking to some other friends, and you're like, well, I heard Ed's ministry is really great. And before you know it, Ed's ministry is like the, the buzzword of the whole place, and none of us have really evaluated whether Ed's ministry is all that great or not, right? So to be able to look at some of the ways that the church is just trying to live the gospel and say, you know, what is the fruit of this? Um, what's not, what, what isn't the fruit of this? And so just to step back from the day-to-day -day demands of the, of the news cycle to be able to do that, some of that deep dive work and hopefully some of that deep thinking and talking with people who are good thinkers as well about just um, the life of the church in a moment, a cultural moment of profound transformation, I think, for our country and a cultural moment of, or at least an invitation for, for um, I think, a new kind of conversion for the church in the United States and I guess for ourselves, we feel like this is, you know, journalism can be an exercise of the prophetic call of our baptism to, um, in some ways, speak the, the truth or bring the truth to light, um, not for our own sake, but for the for the salvation of souls. So that's, at least from my mind, a big part of what our project is. Ed, I don't know if you want to say something. Uh, no, there, there's a lot there. And I, I agree with <laughs> a substantial <laughs> amount of what JD said, as I so often do. Um, no, <laughs> for me, I, <laughs> I, I, I have, um, the thing I like most about what we're doing now is it gives me the freedom to pursue the, pursue the detail of stories that I think, and, th and this is something that I think is a temptation in any kind of media. It's not particularly to Catholic media by any stretch of the imagination, but when you're covering a story, you're covering particularly a story that, you know, is either problematic or it involves a scandal or some kind. There, there's basically the temptation, and I think the church has shown, unfortunately, a willingness to give into this temptation, both in journalism and in how it's governed, to you know to treat scandals kind of like dandelions in your lawn. You know, they cut the head off them, and the problem seems to go away. But if you don't pull the roots out, it's just going to come back and back and back and back. And and I, I think certainly, you know, the the way we've seen the sort of repeat and and in some cases escalation of things like you know, McCarrick following the spotlight scandals of 2002. I, I think it's a perfect example. So what I'm really enjoying about what we're doing now is 
it gives us the, the freedom um, in terms of time to be able to say, well, we're going to follow this problem all the way to the end. You know, we've opened this can, let's, let's eat the whole thing and really get to the, get to the bottom of it. Not in a sense of saying, so, you know, there we won, we, you know, we reported everything, but because unless you understand exactly what happened, where it started and how it played out, it's almost impossible to say, well, we're going to work to make sure this doesn't happen again. And there's, you know, always the scope for, you know, looking like a situation like McCarrick, you know, okay, suppose you catch a Theodore McCarrick and suppose you pull him out of ministry. What about all the people who kept him there? What about all the people who advanced him? What about all the people who promoted him? What about all the people who took money from him? If what about the money? Yeah, what about yeah. the way in which money was an influential thing? And, and, and what it, you, there's an argument that what's happened in the last two years is that transparency has become a buzzword. Mm-hmm. But um, but we but you know Ed, we've been trying to chase just McCarrick's money and uh, with with no transparency from ecclesiastical leaders, and that's not like a sort of indictment, like the, you can't trust those guys at all. But just there's a danger that unless these things are pursued, habits don't really change and dispositions don't really exactly. change. Exactly. Habits don't really change. Dispositions don't change. And I mean, let's be clear. If you're a bishop who took a 50 grand check from Theodore McCarrick at the time you were made a bishop or an archbishop, that doesn't mean you're a bad guy. But if you're the kind of bishop who took a 50 grand check for Theodore McCarrick when you were made an archbishop and after the McCarrick scandal, don't feel like that maybe was a problem. That's a problem. Sounds like a problem. <laughs> yeah, even if you didn't know it at the time, and even if you can say, "Look, now I see," you know, before two thousand two, no, no, people weren't people in the church weren't thinking I shouldn't just things that feel second nature to us. I shouldn't be alone with a kid, not because I'm going to do anything, but because we should all have this collective consciousness about about safe environments, so there aren't places, there aren't cracks through which bad people into which bad people can fall or through which bad people can exploit. You know, if we just all have this consciousness, we can have create a, a you know a better culture. And what I think part of what we're doing, Ed, I don't know, if, correct me if you're wrong, but I think we're looking for the cracks so that they won't be there. You know, not that everyone who's sort of gotten a check is a bad person, but if the check system is a cover for exploitation, let's get rid of, you know, let's, let's pull that out so that everyone can see it and say, we need to. Absolutely. I, and, you know, I, I, I found myself getting more and more absolutist about this the, the longer I've been um, professionally in the church, if you like, both as a canon lawyer and, um, and in journalism is I, I honestly feel like maximum transparency is, is the way to go. I mean, apart from outside of certain things, like, you know, the identity of minor victims of abuse. Sure. You, you know, you, you don't want to have publicity around that. You don't want to, you know, label a victim's life by the worst thing that ever happened to them. I understand that. And of course, you know, in a legal context, sometimes witness testimony has to be confidential. But uh, apart from that, I I really feel like the more transparency we have in the church, the better, not because, uh, not just because transparency is something that can help heal wounds of trust, but because nothing bad happens when you're truthful. Nothing bad happens when something that's bad is brought into the light. The only thing bad happens is you have to adjust bad habits and you have to atone for bad practice, but that's all a process of improvement. And I used to have a slightly romantic view of the the concept of the church as a as a sovereign society and government. And it says, you know, well, we're allowed to keep secrets. You know, we do we have as much right as any government to keep secrets. And I kind of feel like, you know what? Yeah, it does. And you know, if we're talking about the church supporting missions quietly in parts of the world where the church is persecuted, sure. But if we're talking about how the church administers her own justice to her own members. No, no, that should all, that should, you know, there's, there's no reason why that needs to, to be confidential. And I mean, I've, I've worked on these cases. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying I can't imagine what could be in there that would be problematic. It's like, I've, I've read the files. Yeah, that should be out in the street. Cause you know what? That's, that's how it doesn't happen again. The biblical examples of ecclesiastical discipline. I mean, think about Anais and Sapphira, right? When Peter confronts, you know, like the, the biblical examples of, of, of ecclesiastical discipline are not taking place in secret. And I suspect that if you sort of said to St. Peter and St. Paul, like, oh, well, are those things that should just be kept among the priests? They would, that, that would not register for them, right? I mean, it would not seem to them to be a, a part of the Christian, uh, the Christian life. It would be as ridiculous I, to them I, as know. the idea of having the priests administer money. 
that's why we got the diaconate if we're going back to the acts of the apostles that's why we did it (laughs) yeah 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 plus they started getting all these mustachioed converts and they didn't know what to do careful careful this is not our uh, podcast jd this is theirs this is the clerical (laughs) podcast speaking speaking of money uh ed you have done a lot of investigative reporting on uh how shall we put it uh financial faux pas uh in the vatican (laughs) Yeah, and <laughs> that's a very that's a very gentle way of putting it, right? Um, so being out on your own um, does because I don't know the inner workings of of journalism. Do you? What are the advantages and disadvantages of doing this uh, independently? Do you like lose contacts when you go off on your own, or like having uh, a staff with you? How does that change how you do investigative reporting? Uh, being independent. It, uh, well, I mean, I not to repeat myself, but the first thing I noticed is like this afternoon I had 25 pages of uh, legal documents that I got a hold of, some from Italy, some from the UK, some from Malta that were all to do with Vatican finances, that one remove or another. And I got to spend all afternoon with them, which was great. Um, I, w- I would never previously have had that kind of time to dedicate to it. It's something that would have just sat on my desk for two or three months and I would have read a half a page at a time. And you know, in cases where I'd have to translate it, it could you know it could be months before I got to it. So, the first uh, the first thing that's changed is the luxury of time. In terms of uh, context and things, no. I mean, my I uh, you know I arrived um, in my previous job with with pretty much the context that I had, and um, you know, bar to bar one or two drinking buddies I picked up along the way, I more or less had the same context at the end, and. Um, I still do now that I think journalism is really based on personal relationships. Your sources don't come to you because, well, I, I, let me, let me rephrase that. My sources never come to me because of the outlet I'm writing for. Um, I mean, maybe there are people who, and I think this is probably true. Maybe there are people who are willing to present themselves to the New York times or the Washington post because they want to see their name in the New York times or the Washington post, or, you know, feel like they made a difference in getting that kind of level of coverage. But that that's never been the situation with me. So I, at least yet, I mean, we're only 48 hours into this thing. So who knows? Maybe people are going to stop taking my calls, but no one has yet. I, um, I think, Ed, we might find that it, we might, we might find it a little more difficult in some cases to get um, front facing institutional responses. And by that, I mean, we might find it more difficult when we call the, the when we call the communications office of the diocese of Walla Walla, we're not calling from a large, well-known you know, uh, Catholic news institution anymore yet. I mean, but, you know, we're not calling from something that that people know what it is. Um, and so, I mean, I think it's true to some extent that some people in the church in the United States know who we are, you know what I mean? But, um, but from the, inst- but we don't carry that institutional weight. And so we might find it harder to get calls back from the communications office, but the dirty little secret of journalism is that the communications office is the last place that you call often and you call it to get a comment um, you know, it, the work comes from the, the people who you talked to before then. And I think you're right that those are usually based on uh, uh, on personal relationships or a personal reputation for integrity or those kinds of things. Yeah, I mean, and um, yeah, communications offices are, uh, they're broadcast media more often than not. They have a particular thing that they're saying or putting out. But when it comes to actually getting specific answers to specific questions on a tight deadline, I've I've often found they are either unable or unwilling. And I want to make it clear that it's sometimes one, sometimes the other, because I don't want to paint every diocesan communications office with the same brush by any stretch of the imagination. Some of them are really great people. Um, well, having been in that, having been in that role, having worked in a chancery before be, being in journalism and worked in communication shops in a chancery before being in journalism, it's tricky because sometimes you're not, I mean, it's true. This is true for any spokesperson. Often you're not in the room where the decision made, and then people are calling you to basically ask what happened in the room where the decision was made. And so you have to run down the people. So you, you have to sort of run down the people who were and figure out what they're going to tell you. And sometimes, you know, the communi- I, I know that there are situations where communicate diocesan communications directors are saying to us, I want to get you this answer. And they mean it, but they're not in a position to get the answer. You know what I mean? Um, they're not in a position to get it. And I feel especially bad when we call it because we're not only journalists, we're canon lawyers. And so we ask like a, a, a raft of wonky canonical questions questions, you know, like, well, was it fine? Was Canon 572 observed according to the, you know, within the peremptory time limits? And they're like, I don't know what peremptory is or what a time, peremptory time limits. What are you talking about? Let me, you know, can you spell that for me? And then I'll try and check down the Canon lawyer. Um, and so I feel badly in a certain way, but, um, but, but, it, but it's nevertheless true that uh, per- personal relationships are the, are where it's at. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so this actually opens up a really 
interesting kind of maybe a line of, of questioning around this then to kind of get into the heart of what you guys are trying to do and why you see this as like a work, you know, I think it's really important. I do believe that what you're doing is going to be a, a service to the church. Oh yeah. But, Let me just say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm supporting you guys, not because I care about your kids or family. Yeah. I mean, I do, right. yeah, but we that's do, not but, the reason yeah. why I'm giving you money. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, we also believe. I think, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm being facetious here, but yeah. the point is like, I see such a need for this in the church yeah. that when I have the opportunity to support it, like I feel a moral obligation to and it's not and also because you know even before at your guys old job when p- people would ask me as a priest like there's so much people are saying so many different things who should i trust i would point out you two guys read mm-hmm. their articles Thanks. they're the ones who know what they're doing and yeah, they're that, that and they a uh mm-hmm. bring a um a precision and an honesty uh that i like to see in journalism i, mm-hmm. I think part of part of um part of what makes jd and i have a, a particularly different and kind of quasi-fanatical approach to what we do is because we're trained lawyers and because... Oh, I thought you were going to say fanatical workaholics, but also... Also we're fanatical worker, But no, <laughs> I mean, it's much the... I, I mean, I would say one leads to the other, but, um, you know, we, we, we've we both worked on, on cases that involve, you know, the roughest stuff the church has in its life. And at least in me, that has um, bred in me a, an absolute intolerance for imprecision people who don't follow proper procedure because they've seen the worst that can happen if they do uh, and also for liars <laughs> like that's the you know i've and i've said this to jd before um you know when, when we talk is you know i'll be really fired off about something and really going after someone and he'll be saying you know well it's not that big a deal you know this person didn't didn't do it you know an unbelievably terrible thing you know they're not a they're not an abuser they're not a whatever and i said yeah but he lied and you know that for me is that that that's actually about the worst thing that a person can do, as far as I'm concerned, because there's there's a way back from almost everything else. But if you if you start lying, then that makes everything, including atonement, harder. Uh, so, I, oh god, no. Go no, ahead. I was just going to ask you, Father Anthony. Thank you for saying that 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 you think what we do is important, and and I appreciate what you're saying. Like, I think when we, when there is a, a big controversy in the church, the Pope says something, and everyone's running around with their head cut off or whatever. Yeah, it's really important for us to, like, be able to make distinctions and be able to say, this is what's true, this is what's not true. But when you say there's a need for this, I mean, I'm curious, like, what are the things that you think are, are really important to be, for us to be looking at or for us to be working on? What, what, what do you think is the most, when you say this is a service of the church, we want to do that well. What, in your view... Uh, yeah, so for thing. me, it's uh, very much as I am on Twitter and reading news stories, hearing what people in my parish say, I'm always trying to figure out what is the big picture? What is going on? How do these parts connect? I have a feeling in my gut that these things connect, or what are the forces at work at this? And the fact that you guys are taking the time to see what's going on in the forest and not just the trees, um, to construct that narrative, uh, I don't know if that's the best way to put it, but... Uh, that sort of thing, or to take the time to do the investigation, because a lot of times we, uh, for example, the McCarrick Report, uh, we talked about it on our show, uh, you guys have talked about it as well, and we look at that, and it's like, okay, there's stuff here, but like, I hope someone does some more digging, because there's a lot more that needs to be asked here. Um, there are questions that aren't being asked, and that takes time and energy, and uh, the fact that... Um, I bring all that up because I want to make it very clear. You're not on here just because you're our friends and I don't consider you guys charity cases. It's because I think this is important work for the church. And also, like a lot of times, uh, you know, people ask me like every Catholic, every Catholic has felt overwhelmed by everything that's going on. And every Catholic has wanted to do something. And there have been public personalities and forces out there who who take that energy and use it to make money or to feed into that energy and anger to stoke it up for their own good and lead people away from the church by doing it. And it's frustrating not to be able to point these people in a better direction. Uh, where can you actually do something? What you're also, describing... What you're describing, that kind of like, yeah, feed people's anger. That that's like that's like infiltrating the life of the church. It's an infiltration into the life of the church with this Absolutely. spirit of anger and division. And we want to work from the. It's our goal to work from from the heart of the from the heart of the church and from the life of the church. You know, from the life of the church, especially if the mass is the source and summit of our faith. Then we want to do our work in a certain way from the corporate worship of the church. However, that manifests instead of anger and division, and you know. Yeah, and like we've said a lot on this podcast that 
we have to remember the value of prayer, the work of grace, trust in providence, that really the best thing you can do for the church is for you to self um, to become holy. Uh, but there are practical things that can be done. And I think this is one of them. So uh, I cut off Father Harrison and he was about to ask a whole bunch of questions. <laughs> so I have a series of questions. Like I have I... things to say. <laughs> <laughs> Well, no, because this is, this is bringing up something interesting. And I think maybe like this will be, you know, because like a lot of stuff that gets the attention of the church, it's, it's, it is larger things, right? It is a more, you know, so like the McCarrick Report, for example, is something that um, is international news, right? And yet it doesn't really like, I think sometimes what happens is we pay a lot of attention to this stuff. And I think it's worth knowing about, right? It's worth understanding that this is a reality in the church. But I often find that a lot of Catholics, like, they worry so much about these things when we can't, most of us, like, like I'm not in much of a position to actually do anything about McCarrick qua McCarrick, right? The culture stuff around that, yes, I'm, I'm definitely in a position to change, right? But, and I find like a lot of times these discussions have been, um, you know, a lot of people feel powerless because they don't know what they can do and maybe they can't but uh, you know i guess for me too it's just it's been this like we need to kind of get more local and like you can't maybe you, you what you actually joe Smo in this pew you actually can't do anything about mccarrick you really can't but you can do something locally in your parish like i guess there is a there is a tendency to be more um care, caring about the big picture issues and putting a lot of energy into that as catholics Without when removing and that energy gets removed from the parish, removed from what you can control locally. I know it's not quite like what your guys are about, but I, I I've just discovered that that's becoming a, a larger theme in in Catholics online. Like, do you guys do you guys have anything to say about that, or to say to people who might feel like you know I read your stuff and I and I like this, but I feel like I feel overwhelmed, I feel powerless, etc. What should people be doing with their energy around this? I think the the number one thing you can do if if you're feeling overwhelmed with it is understand that anyone who thinks they're going to get their head around everything that's wrong with a church of more than a billion people that was founded by Christ and is going to endure forever, you're not going to do it. So, you know, be a little easy there. Uh, but I would say, you know, the yeah, sometimes the church is a universal reality in a perfect society that spans the entire world and has its own government and laws and hospitals and schools and courts and banks and everything else. And yeah, we need to have intelligent and informed and very honest conversations about all of that. But the life of the church is fundamentally at its most local level. The life of the church is the, is the ordinary parish mass. And, and more often than not, that's where souls are saved. And that's what the church is about. The church isn't about a perfect structure. The church isn't about you know, perfect governance. The church is primarily about announcing the gospel. The church is the work of bringing the kerygma to all people. That's, that's all there is. That's the whole game. You know, like JD said, if we believe the Eucharist is the source and summit of our Christian life, we have to accept that the source and summit of our Christian life is not something you're going to read on a website. And it's certainly not something that some half-baked PhD is going to give you in a YouTube video. It's something you're only going to get in the sacraments. And if you're at the point where that's not where you're finding Christ, if that's not where you're recognizing the true face of the church, then you've really departed from the understanding of what the church is and her essential nature. And it's only, I mean, for speaking personally, it's only because I have, I, I don't want to say I have a really healthy spiritual life or anything like that, but because I have a very clear um, prayer life, because I have a, a very real need for the sacraments, one that mercifully I'm able to, you know, to have a, a living relationship with, that it allows me to, you know, spend hours of my day pouring into the stuff that, you know, would make any sane person question the church. Um, but I have to, I mean, it's speaking, from, you know, from my, from my own experience, even when I was a practicing canon lawyer and dealing with sex abuse cases all day, every day, or, you know, with a breakdown of marriages all day, every day, that the thing that allowed me to sort of, you know, compartmentalize it a little bit is to say, yeah, this is, this is the worst the church has to offer. But you know what? That's the human part of the church. And the divine part of the church is the part that matters and gives life. And, and that's real and that's untouchable. And that's something we have to be in daily contact with in our, in our prayer lives, at least for me. So this gets me to the, another question because like, so we're just kind of bringing us back to where we started a bit is, you, you know, your guys' project is not going to be dealing 
as much with the day-to-day news cycle. And I think that's actually really important because you're right. You can get, we get so bogged in it and you report on it. And then two days later, everyone's forgotten about it, right? Like it's just, it's gone. And, and I mean, like this is something Ed again has been working on for a while. I, I, I look forward to the day, Ed, when I could perhaps get a peek of your whiteboards. And I, I say boards, <laughs> folks, because I'm pretty sure there's more than one. Um, uh, but uh, why... Why Why is what the pillar is doing important? Why is long-form journalism important in this regard? We, I think that's something that's important for people to hear. Like what you're doing is different. What you're doing is important and, and why this is worth reading for that reason. Yeah, great question. I wish I wish I had like when you said why is your job important, I wish I jumped out with an answer real quick. But it's a really it's a good no, it's a good way to put it. And I, I ask myself sometimes, like I, I, the, the the conversation that we're having right now about the about sort of disquietude um, that that people experience as a result of the things that are happening in the life of the church. Sometimes um, it's an important conversation to have, and um, you know, there's a way in which. Um, there's a way in which the job that we do, the job that we do, and, and a big part of our desire is to, um, a big part of our desire is to be a mechanism of public accountability in the life of the church because we think that's important. We think that's a, we think that's an or, should be an ordinary part of a healthy human society and especially Christian society. And by the way, Intermurfica, the Second Vatican Council agrees with us about this, right? I mean, the Second Vatican Council says that the, that there's an important role for the Catholic press to play in in the life of the church, and we think that's true. Um, but you we know, also think the Vatican often, II is an ecumenical council, to be clear. Yeah, we also think the Vatican II is an ecumenical council. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> but we we also know like there is a danger. There's a spiritual danger of um, of what my wife and I call religious hobbyism, right? Where people become sort of so uh, that that can affect any of us. Where people become some so sort of like consumed with the minutia of like you know ecclesiastical politics or things like that, and seeing them as kind of just like court politic, you know, like a, like a medieval court politics, and you know, or or a team sport or an episode of survivor or something like that, you know, and, and like having like really, you know, convolute, like it's not my job to have esoteric opinions about liturgy. And sometimes I do, but I try not to, because it's my job to like learn how to like mystically unite myself to the sacrifice of Christ on the cross through the sacrifice of the priest at the altar at mass. And that's like way more important than having, you know, wonky, stupid opinions about liturgy. And I have to remind myself that of that all the time, because it's a natural human temptation to like put ourselves into a spectator mode with those kinds of things instead of to put ourselves into a, a participant mode and understand our own role in the life of the body. That That's a long-winded way of saying um, what we do, what we, we think that what we do is important and we hope that we do it in a way that brings to light issues in the church, points to... Um, points to possible, you know, points to solutions, frankly, I mean, points to ways that we can better habituate ourselves to virtue. But we hope that we do that in a way that also like uh, exhibits a Catholic way of thinking through these things that exhibits just like a, a, a balanced and Catholic approach to these things. The, the, the thing that the idea that we were talking and that, and that like points ultimately to the fact that our hope is in, um, is in the eschaton, right? Our hope is in the coming of the Lord and our, our, our hope is in our, is in our salvation and not in like this idea that like the church is, um, a, a sort of ideolog, a set, a, a, a community based upon a set of ideological propositions to which we all adhere and which is in danger of going down the tubes like a political party or a baseball team. And, uh, and so we hope that we're doing something about the life of the church, but we're doing it. When I say doing it from the life of the church, I don't mean to be cliche. I mean, like trying very hard to avoid uh, and to give an alternative to the voices that say like, who's going to save the church or the church is at, you know, in its last gasp because, um, sin is the ordinary condition and, and like, um, crisis is actually probably the ordinary condition of the life of the church. In every generation, you can like, in fact, you can do a history of the church just defined by like theological and moral crises of the church. And um, we we think that we have a part to play through the Holy Spirit in helping to reform the particular crises of the moment. But we do that recognizing that until the Lord comes, there will be, you know, there will be other crises and that there will be no savior of the church but Christ. And so like to, to find a way to do journalism that, that, it, for ourselves, it's not so self-important that it forgets the context, the, like the the Christian context in which we do it. And God, if we, gosh, if we find a way to do journalism in a way that helps other people see the Christian context and see the 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 way in which what what's happening in the temporal reality is contextualized in the spiritual truths of the church, I will be very pleased and very proud of that. This is why I like to let JD answer that question, is because he puts it in a really nice way. 
I don't even know if I did answer the question. I, I don't either. That's what's so nice about general. it. <laughs> because like, I think you brought up something really important that I think has just been lacking in general in discourse. Because And I think you're like you point to a very important spiritual theological issue that we treat the church as a kind of ideology, right? Which is a very enlightenment view. And, 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 and we don't, I think a lot of Catholics don't realize how often we, we work out of this enlightenment modernist view of, of the church, which is the church rather is the home of charity, right? It's the home of Christ's love that works in and through us, through our baptism, and uh, and I think what you're saying, which I think is really important, is that you're going to do this with ch- through charity, like through what the Christian idea of charity really is, Christian love is, which is wanting to acknowledge the truth of things, but not in such a way as to tear people down for ideological reasons, but rather out of love for the church and her members. And, and it's that's just, I, I pray and hope that this goes well, because I, I really think this is a positive step not just towards um, journalism, but also just like towards online discourse in general. I mean, we're 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 all online. Like we know how poisonous it gets out there. And I think we're all. I think more and more Catholics are recognizing. Like we got to step back a little bit. How we engage online. How we uh, how we engage topics. That we need to have the heart of charity in how we do all this. And uh, I'm I'm just I pray and hope that that we can through you like through your work for example that will get less ideological and more charitable yeah i mean we don't i'm speaking for both of us here i think when i say we don't really have an ideology i mean you know and this is something i'm i sometimes i feel like i'm not even smart enough to have an idea no i actually i think (laughs) it's very often menu of options well no but i honestly well maybe you think we're not smart enough to have an idea i I honestly no i said i I, no 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 but i I mean i'm fair enough enough, but i'm going to say the reverse it was the royal eye it was the royal eye the editor-in-chief I, I was just going to say, I, I sometimes feel like we're not dumb enough to have ideologies. Because I... No, it's true. I mean, I think ideology, especially in the church, is a, is a function of, of poor formation. It, it, it's someone who doesn't have a very wide or deep reading um, of the history of the church, in particular the teachings of the church fathers and councils. And it's almost always a sign of someone who has um, a poverty of formation in prayer life. And, and that's the thing that um, occurs to me when I see, and you know, I don't, this is not about, you know, people who are one side or the other. And I mean, I don't, I hate using the words liberal and conservative in the church because they, they don't apply. They don't, they don't convey any real rational meaning that's linked to the actual meaning of the words conservative or liberal when it comes to the church, but especially the libs. So, okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, you know, and to import an ideology into the church is to look for something in the church that that fundamentally is not there and will not be there and was never going to be there from the moment that Christ turned to Peter and said, you know what, if I wanted to boss the game with a legion of angels, I could, but I'm not. It's not why I'm here. So give it a rest. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and just speaking about the fact that you guys don't have ideologies, I mean... Anybody who's been reading you guys can just read the comments below your articles and find all kinds of different people that hate what you write. Um, on the <laughs> we are the very right. ecumenical like, that way. Yeah, every, yeah. I mean, the one thing, I, I, yeah, I think probably the one thing that Voris and Father Martin agree about is that we're we're wrong. Um, so, <laughs> so I'm glad that we can bring people together in that way. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, the truth is a good in itself. I mean, I'm just still thinking about why are you, why, why is this important? The truth yeah. is a good in itself. And, um, and that, you know, that's necessary. And we've seen what happens when truth is concealed and subrupted. And we've seen the way, it, you know, if, if Satan is the father of lies, then he exploit, you know, he exploits when, when Satan is able to exploit people in situations, he does it in darkness and under the cover of lies. And so if the one thing that we're doing is helping to bring things into the light so that even if we're not the ones to reform them, but just so that the church can say, how are we going to ha- deal with this issue? Because Flynn and Condon won't shut up about it. You know, um, I, I'm pleased about that, right? Justice is a good in itself. Um, but but um, but charity um, persists all those things, right? I mean, and 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 um, and and, uh, and so I hope, you know, I. I I hope that I hope that all of us can learn how to do these, you know, can learn how to engage in the life of the church in a way that is not scoring points for our team or, you know, dunking on the other team, but um, but figuring out a way to engage with each other, you know, as as Christians. And that's it's not always I mean, that's not always easy. Yeah. Is there before we kind of 
start wrapping up. Is there, I mean, and if you can't answer this question right now, I totally understand. Are is there a news story line that you're really looking forward to pursuing now that you're? Now What's that the you're, hit list? Yeah, who, who are, <laughs> give yeah. us give it's, us the it's target. Honestly, never <laughs> spill the beans. It, it is honestly never a who for me. Um, but it's definitely, I mean, I'm, I have been rolling in the minutia of Vatican finances for, uh, more than, more than a few years now, and I'm only getting deeper <laughs> down the rabbit hole. It's one of the reasons why it's not safe for me to work with anyone other than JD. It's because he's about the only one who ha- has an equal understanding of the depth in the hole that I'm in and is still able to yank me back out and make me speak coherently about it from time to time. But yeah, I'm not letting well, that go. Well, all I try and do, Ed, is like when you, lo- when you lose me, you know, like Ed is talking to me and he's like, and then this company, you know, did a hostile takeover? And I'm like, all right, I stopped listening three minutes ago. So like, you know, give me the meat and potatoes <laughs> on this. But it's it's really, I'm glad that you're in that hole. Yeah. So yeah, Vatican finances. And to be clear, you know, I know we've we've published in the past a, a number of stories on Vatican finances that have had a number of effects, um, not least on Vatican personnel, shall we say. Um, but again, it's never it, it never starts and it's never pursued about the who for me. It's it's the what and the how. And if that has knock on effects in personnel, then so be it and so much the better. But, you know, that's not the, it's not the, we never, you know, we're, one thing that JD and I say all the time is we're not scalp hunters. You know, we don't, you right. know, we don't say, I bet you this guy's dirty. Let's go find out. And that's not how it works. You know, we will, we'll follow an event or we'll follow, like, so for example, how I got involved in reporting on Vatican financial scandals happened in 2016 when the Secretary of State in the Vatican canceled an audit that was, that had been announced and planned by the Secretary for the Economy. And I was a, reasonably new canon lawyer. I'd only been a canon lawyer for two or three years at that point. And I said, well, that doesn't make any sense because the Secretary of the Economy doesn't work for the Secretary of State. In fact, they report directly to the Pope, so they can't they can't cancel this. And so I started digging around and making phone calls and stuff and it turned out that I was right. They couldn't do that. And it was basically what they'd done is illegal, but it was a power play and they got away with it. And, you know, it was watching that that sort of started like, well, hang on, why would you do such a thing? And, you know, it didn't make any sense to me. And that's when I started pulling this particular thread. And I'm still pulling it five years later. But it was an event that triggered it. And, you know, I we've reported some interesting stories along the way. And I think we're going to report a few more. Um, but I don't feel like we've got the big picture yet. You know, you, you I do have whiteboards. But, you know, the, the day is going to come when I won't have three or four whiteboards. I'll just have one big whiteboard because the, it's all it's all connected, man. And I'm gonna connect it. I, I have a different list, if I may. I love Ed's I, I love I love Ed's whiteboards, and I'm really proud of the work that we have done on Vatican finances. Um, I have a different list, and I'm really um, so so. My job for the past few years has been to run um, a global news agency, and I'm extremely proud of running that global news agency in the way that we did it. But it means that I have not gotten to really spend a whole lot of time being a reporter, which I really, I have a long list of things that I want to report, if that makes sense. So, um, a few months ago, well, I, I guess at the end of November, yeah, at the end of November, um, I interviewed a woman, uh, and, and, oh, and a Nigerian, an African woman who had been sexually abused by a priest and hit stonewall after stonewall of, of, um, of getting justice or even to be believed and faced increasing kind of ostracization. And, um, and, uh, and what's true, you know, the, the, the reporting side of that is not just interviewing this person, but to see, um, systemically, there are a lot of places in the church that have not yet even gotten to the place where, where we are in the United States on, on addressing these issues and, um, addressing the issue of sort of adult, sexual abuse and coercion in the church, we're, we're not there. And I, I've been able to do some reporting about that um, in the past and, and, and want to continue to because that's that remains an issue. And, and But especially in parts of the developing world, um, there are ways in which the in which the um, in which Prop Fide, the Congregation for Evangelization of Peoples, can could really help with that and probably should. But I don't think the problem is yet understood. And I think that's a place where um, that's a place where local journalists have a hard time because um, it's a place where clerics are powerful in a social way that that's sort of hard to break through. Um, so that's a, that's an area that I want to spend some time on. I really want to spend some time on um, ways in which um, the, the church can continue to develop in uh, uh, human and moral formation and seminary formation. I, I think we've gotten a lot better at intellectual formation, seminary formation over the last 20 years, but there are still a lot of ways in which we can learn a lot of things about um, uh, human formation and, and spiritual formation and moral formation. And I think there are... Um, things that we don't yet see about 
some gaps in our seminary formation that we need to be looking at um, a lot more carefully. So I've been talking with people who, you know, part of it is the church has been calling for the development of spirituality or just learning how to pray um, and the importance of that. But, but there are other things too that, uh, that I want to spend time on. And then, um, and then some of the Vos Estes Lex Mundi investigations in the U S um, so Vos Estes Lex Mundi is this thing that Pope Francis promulgated kind of the policy for dealing with negligent and malfeasant bishops. And, um, and some of the investigations, now, look, we have a global pandemic, so I guess we can be a little bit, but um, but some of them have delved now into like, you know, far beyond their original projected timeline, like, you know, far beyond a year going on to two years. And some of them um, seem to be sort of stalled out. And and a lot of them are taking place without transparency. And it's kind of interesting because Vos Estes Lex Mundi was supposed to be the thing by which we would have justice, but uh, by which we would be able to sort of assure justice on that front. But, um, but justice... It's it's extremely hard. I'm not saying I don't think it's impossible, but it's extremely hard to exact justice in the darkness, um, because uh, um, because there's not you know frankly there are there there's not sufficient human motivation to do so, and uh, sometimes the ministers of justice themselves are not empowered unless they're in the light to act the way that they need to, and so uh, and so there are some things I think we can spend time there on on that front as well. Cool. Quick question before we wrap up. I just thought of something. Are there are there hopeful, good, long-form journalism stories? <laughs> I, you know, because like I just feel, I guess I feel like all the time we're ever hearing news. It's always about the bad stuff, right? right, right, right. Is is there room for that? Yeah, in, there, in this kind of form of general, uh, journalism. One of the fav- one of the things I enjoyed writing most in the last three years was um, in 2018. I interviewed a bishop from India who told me about his diocese, which he's been serving in since the 80s. And when he arrived there, the people were. Um, I'm, he asked me never to use the word Stone Age because people would get offended at that, but that was effective. Oh, I wonder why. Well, no, but I mean that was that was a, I mean that was how he I'm described kidding. the situation to me yeah. when mm-hmm. he arrived. Was this was a um, an, an almost prehistoric culture? You know, it was it was not just without you know buildings and cities. It was without letters and numbers and you know written mm-hmm. language and you know it, it was an it was an animist society they you know they 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 worship rocks literally um and he told me about the experience he'd had of basically being solely responsible for evangelizing this territory which is up in the mountains on the border with china over a period of years years turning into decades and um he has i i think um over a hundred thousand Catholics there now. And this is purely as a result. It started with him and another um, lay missionary when he was a priest walking through the forest, <laughs> through the jungle uh, in these sort of foothills, of these mountains from village to village to village, often being arrested by the Indian army and wow. imprisoned and thrown out. Cause it's sort of a demilitarized zone, which is how this, this people was able to live there and be basically undisturbed is basically the Indian army, kept it on lockdown to you know as a buffer zone with with the chinese border um and yeah he's he's got hundreds of thousands of catholics there now and it's wow. been a slow steady work of evangelization and i i got to talk to him for like two hours and he was just such an incredibly holy man and he had mm. such um a, a quiet confidence in in the action of the holy spirit and you know he had fantastic ideas and things to say um, the interview is still out there on the internet. You can still look it up. It's it's online mm-hmm. at CNA. Uh, I think the article is called "The Bishop Who Reaped a Hundredfold" or something like that. Um, mm-hmm. But he had um, a, a ton to say about you know <laughs> people getting excited about the idea of uh, the church running out of money, of parish structures closing, of there being a shortage of clergy, um, because you know he has double digits of priests for six digits worth of Catholics. He says, you know, don't talk to me about shortage of priests. <laughs> I know all about shortage of priests. But that means we have to take lay missionary work incredibly seriously. It means we have to take lay formation incredibly seriously. And my people do. That the faith is transmitted in the homes. The faith is transmitted in the mm-hmm. parish by lay people, not as a professional class, but because they view it as their apostolic duty to do so. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just a beautiful man with, a, with an experience that was totally other to anything I'd encountered in, in the kind of parish life in which I'd been educated. And so I think places like that where the church is growing exponentially, you know, J.D. mentioned Africa, but, uh, you know, also places like India and stuff. I, and China, 
Uh, you know, China is a bad news story in you know almost every level that we think of, but there are good news stories too. I mean, the faith is spreading there. There's a reason the Chinese government is scared to death of the Catholic Church spreading in China. <laughs> it's because the gospel is way more attractive and way more true than communism. Um, no, I think there's there's endless stories that, that you know need long form reporting in the church that are that are good news stories because wherever the gospel is being proclaimed, that's a good news story. Yeah, because I think I, th- I was just the reason I'm asking that is only because I think sometimes the negativity gets into the soul of the Catholics because that's all they ever hear, right? So here's what I think. Um, so reform is a you know ecclesial reform is a movement of. Uh, ecclesiastical leaders enacting policies um, to provide better for the accountability and the mechanisms of justice and to habituate us towards virtue and things like that. And those things are necessary. And right now we can say there's a set of ecclesial reforms that are necessary in the life of the church in the United States. But reform is always accompanied by something different. Reform is always accompanied by renewal. And renewal is the organic work of the Holy Spirit to, to you know, mo- moving in, in people's hearts, moving in, in communities of people to, like, bring forth a new... I hate to say it, but to bring forth a new springtime of evangelization, I suppose, or to bring forth a, you know, a new way of, of living or experiencing the Christian life or a renewal of devotion and, um, and, 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 and periods of reform and renewal, it seems to me are often go hand in hand. Um, and, and so I think we have to be, I said before that I think journalism is an expression of the prophetic, you know, ministry of the baptized and, and being prophets in the sense of being sort of baptized prophets means looking to see how God is at work. And, um, and and praying through, but, you know, making judgments at the same time about how God is at work. And we know that God is at work in his church, in the in the magisterial, you know, like in the exercise of the munus regendi and the munus tegendi um, and the munus sanctificandi. Um, but also um, God, the, the Holy Spirit is at work just in um, in the way that Christians are inspired to proclaim the gospel and to live it. And so part of our prophetic work as journalists is to look for that too, for sure. Good. So... Say someone goes to PillarCatholic.com. What was our what's the website? PillarCatholic.com. We are having a little technical problem because we're just learning how to make a website. This is funny. (laughs) One must, we're trying to fix it. But at the moment, please, dear listeners, when you go to PillarCatholic.com, type in the W's, www.PillarCatholic.com. And here's why. Sometimes without the W's, the website doesn't work. And we're really trying hard to fix it. But type in the W's, my, my friends. It would... Really help us out. So that's www.pillarcatholic.com. Indeed. Okay, so they go there. They, what do they get for signing up for pillarcatholic.com? Yeah, so pillarcatholic.com, www.pillarcatholic.com, uh, is a journalistic project that we're doing. We're, we call it the Pillar, and um, and at our site. Um, uh, www.pillarcatholic.com. We uh, we publish throughout the week um, uh, analyses, news reports, investigative news reports, interviews, explainers, um, etc. And uh, and we put them on our site. But if you sign up, uh, which is free, to um, uh, to to get our newsletter, then twice a week we'll send you uh, newsletters that have links to the stuff that we've been writing, along with some commentary from us, and maybe a little back and forth with each other or readers or, or whatever. Um, and those and so you don't have to go to our site at all. If you subscribe to our newsletters, you get links to our stuff, and you can choose what to go to and uh, and what not to go to. Cool. And you guys also have a podcast. Oh, right. Yeah, we also have a podcast, which you can get at our site, which you can get wherever you get your podcasts, whatever app you get your podcasts in. Our podcast called The Pillar Podcast. Um, it's still populating into the apps, as you guys know. Being podcasters, it like takes a little time to like get into all the apps. But it's on Apple Podcasts now, which is the ma- the majority of podcast listeners in the world use Apple Podcasts, and it's it'll get into the other ones probably. Um, and our podcast is called the Pillar Podcast, and it's uh it's pretty sweet. Great. Yeah, listening to your guys' uh, podcast. Well, this is a new version of it, but listening to you guys, you're one of the few, the only Catholic podcast I consistently listen to. Thank That's you. really sweet. Is that yeah. true? It's, it's also, true. Like I'll yeah. I'll dabble with other ones here and there, see what they're doing. Uh, but as far as like week after week, it's you oh, guys. Wow, that really and means a lot. Thank you. For me, it's yeah. been a nice uh, um, reintroduction to canon law. <laughs> 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 I've learned because I had one of my one of my canon law classes. Our teacher got deathly ill, and so we only had like six weeks of classes, and that was intro. And my second canon law class was the reading course. So in some ways, I'm learning the law anew through you guys. So I appreciate that. Well, uh, thanks for coming on to our show. This was a lot of fun. Uh, I really enjoyed talking with you guys. And uh, once again, that's www.pillarcatholic.com. 
Sweet. Thank you guys for having us. God bless you all. We'll see you all next week. Thanks, guys. Wu-Tang. <laughs>